Shalom, everyone. This is Luke Tanner from Zion Hebraic Congregation. Today's Shabbat message is by Warren Tanner from Luke chapter 11. The title is The Hard Truth. You can also find us on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you'll find other Shabbat messages, blog posts, as well as links to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Post stuff there that you can check out if you feel like it. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. All right, so let's turn to Luke 11. So I'm still going through the Gospels, still in Luke. I am about going at a snail's pace, but that's okay. You know, I'm probably on like a six-year cycle of making it through the Bible. I I don't know how long it takes me anymore. But I was sharing downstairs, talking with Eric and Andy, that, you know, coming into the Messianic movement, when I read the Gospels now and, and look at Yeshua through this new Hebraic mindset lens we're coming more and more involved with, it just seems like, for me, these layers of Yeshua that I haven't seen before are just kind of getting peeled back. And so this is at least how I'm seeing Yeshua, and I want to try to present him today in, in Luke chapter 11. I, I uh, you know, it's going from the pictures we see of David, the little cute shepherd boy with the nice rosy cheeks, to finally realizing he was a guy that wielded a sword and was just bloodstained when he went into battle, you know? And he had a heart for God, but he could rip your eyeballs out in a second if you were God's enemy in battle. You know, and so seeing now Yeshua, you know, versus the the typical pictures we see of Yeshua to this guy that almost at times looks like a raging maniac while he's thrown over the temple, the tables in the temple and, and just is, you know, letting folks have it. It's been refreshing, at least for me. Now, if you don't want to, you know, if, you, if you're not seeing it as I am, I, I understand that. But that's what I, anyway, it's just been so cool for me. It's, it's um, I don't know, been, for me, refreshing. So Luke chapter 11, we're going to just kind of meander through this chapter, say a few things along the way. Basically, what you have in, in Luke 11 is, is, it's, it's a scene being played out between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Is really how I think this chapter is laid out. And so you have for the first 13 verses the kingdom of Satan being portrayed. And then from 14 to the rest of the, through the rest of the chapter you have the kingdom of God being portrayed. And And it's the tension, for me anyway, of these two kingdoms in the arena doing battle that opens up for me this chapter and and other chapters, because that's really what's going on. We're we're seeing firsthand through the interacting interaction of Yeshua amongst people that there's really a warfare going on. This is not a walk in the park. And, and as he approaches closer and closer to that time where he's going to be offering himself up, it's like he just, he ratchets it up a little bit along the journey. It's like he's, for me, it's, it, I'm, I've had enough. I've answered these questions over and over. The people still aren't getting it. It's the same battle with the religious leaders that I've been facing all along. I'm getting to the end of it, 
And it's like, this all human me saying it, but it's like, I got to get these people to kind of get a grasp of what's going on here. And time for Mr. Nice Guy is over. Now it's getting to the wire and I need to do something here as I explain it. And that's what I kind of see going on in this chapter. All right, so let's pray and then we'll, we'll look into it and see where we go. Father, I, I thank you for your word. You know, this sounds kind of dumb, but it's just becoming, more, for me, more and more alive. You know, and to think I've been saved, what, 45 plus years now, and, and all of a sudden for me to see Yeshua kind of out of the stereotypical ah, Jesus that we always see, it's been so encouraging to me to realize that he understood the battle, obviously, but we need to understand the battle and to realize there's a time to maybe be that nice guy. But there's times when you just have to let her rip. And I pray, Father, that I'll try to convey that and you help me. And then whatever is just me in the mix here, I ask that the Holy Spirit would just get rid of that chaff and try to drive home something of what I believe uh, you're blessing me with in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right, now, so let's just read verses 1 through 13, then we'll come back to our handout, and, and maybe I'll say a few things more. We'll see. All right, so Luke 11, verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying, that's, so I'm probably going to interrupt. Luke highlights the prayer life of Yeshua maybe more than any of the other gospel writers. And, and that's not original to me. It's when I was in Bible college, had this missionary from India who had been a missionary to India for over 50 years speak at the Bible conference. And, and he spoke on one of the conferences on the prayer life of Yeshua out of the book of Luke and highlighting how much Luke focuses on the fact that Yeshua, Jesus said, he would say, uh, spent so much time in prayer. And, and it's really, that's an interesting study in and of itself. Yeah, especially when you go through Luke, if you want something to look into. So it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when ye say, our father, when ye pray, sorry, when ye pray, say, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in, uh, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Now that to me is incredible. I don't know that we can grasp where this guy is in life. He has unexpected visitors show up, and he has nothing to give them to eat. You know, we panic if we just have, you know, I don't have whatever, you know, or I don't have any peanut butter to put on my bananas. Ah, the world's falling apart. And, and, and I think this in part is, you know, where he just said, give us day by day our daily bread. And now we have a, in the story a living demonstration. Verse 6, a friend of mine in his journey has come to me. I don't have any food to set before him. And he from within, verse 7, shall answer and say, trouble me not. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto thee. Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity. That's, I can still hear Silas Fox talking about that importunity, the way he said it. That's how our prayer is supposed to be, not giving up. Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. It just might not be what you want to show up, 
but God will answer. And sometimes it's no, sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's like I'll give you half of what you want and you're not ready for the other half. You understand what I'm saying? So it's, it's not like anything I ask God for, he's just going to do. And if it doesn't happen, where is God? God knows what is best, but he wants us to be constantly in prayer and, and knocking on his door. And we have to realize that in his time, he will do what he thinks best. So verse 11 so cool. If a son asks bread of any of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And I can remember Sias Fox stopping here. He say, "Oh, I I can tell you about scorpions in India." Oh, we had to deal with scorpions. Well, I'd never seen a scorpion until we moved to Arizona. Now I have a different appreciation for what's talking about here. You know, my son Daniel, middle of the night, got put his hand down in the driveway because they were coming home from somewhere in Arizona, got stung by a scorpion. And what an experience that was for me to go through that with him. It was horrible, crying in the unrelenting pain that just lasted for hours upon hours upon hours and there's nothing you can do except wait for it to go away um so you know this this helps me now says if he shall ask an egg is he going to give him a scorpion you know you might have i don't know what your translation might have but just go with this so verse 13 if he then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give him the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? All right, so I'm going to just address this for the sake of addressing this. This is not a second blessing. I don't know where everybody's background comes from, but, you know, that you get saved and along the way, you know, you need to pray for this second blessing, this second infilling of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have it somehow, you're kind of falling short and just need to keep beseeching God to give you this second blessing or whatever is supposed to come from this. You know, here it's always been my question. Maybe my logic's flawed. Just hear me out. So when Yeshua got baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him, is that the first time that ever happened? In other words, did Yeshua not have the Holy Spirit till then? Was there ever a time when Yeshua didn't have the Spirit of God? No. He always had the Spirit of God, but when he was baptized, the Spirit comes down and rests upon him. Is that a second blessing? No, I don't think so. It's now he's entering into another stage of ministry in which things are going to get bumped up a few notches here. And he, in his humanness, is going to need an unction, we'll call, of the Holy Spirit that perhaps he hasn't needed to have because right off the bat, who's he going to face his first battle with? Satan. When we need, I don't know if this is the right term, special unction, this supernatural power, or when he says, you know, when you guys are in prison and they've been putting you in jail and everything, don't worry about what you're going to say because when the time comes, your father will give you what is needed to be said. That's a working of the Holy Spirit. He's going to bring back things to our attention. And so when it's talking about here, because I've heard so many messages, especially coming from down south, you know, praying for this, you know, this blah 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 and I'm thinking I don't understand if we just use plain in my estimation logic and we use Yeshua as an example was there ever a time when he didn't have the Holy Spirit but the Holy Spirit did come upon him where do we go from there how do we flesh that out what does that mean why did he get this unction upon him is there anything different going to happen Acts chapter 2 What's the big deal there? Because now we can speak in our prayer language? Or is it that for really the first time in the history of the nation Israel, that body of truth now is going to be disseminated outside the land with no temple, no priesthood, and you poor schmucks living out in the diaspora until I come back, you're going to need something. Because now... New territory, new game plan. Things have changed. 
and you're not going to be able to make it unless I really help you. Anyway, that's me. Take it for whatever it's worth. But I think there's at least some validity to, to this thing. God will give us what we need at that moment in time. And this may be heretical. I don't know. I do believe there's many fillings. But God will give them to us when we need them. When we need supernatural power to do a task that's beyond us, God, through his Holy Spirit, will strengthen us. Now, <laughs> if you don't like any of that, just leave it alone. This is something that's been argued and debated for a long time, and it will be argued and debated. But that's my position on that. Now, I want to share something that I think, though, is hopefully not confrontational. I, I, I never saw what this note that I gave you is going to talk about. And verse 2, And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. And then it goes on from there. I did, I will say, every time I, I read this verse now, when we were living in Arizona, I used to listen to different Christian guys on the radio. And this one that, I, and I could tell you exactly where I was when he made this statement, driving into work. He said, um, and it's from a Christian perspective, and, and therefore there's a difference between a Jew and a, and a Christian, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he said, um, he was talking about this, this usage of, of calling God Father. And he said, there's not one time you will not find in the Old Testament where, where God is referred to as Father. And, and I'm thinking, did I just hear what I just heard? Well, that's just blatantly wrong, and I'm not going to go into scriptures to show you that, but they're, they're there. And so, you know, when, when it's not like Yeshua is coming up with something new because he's on the block here and he's changing things and you guys, you know, you didn't pray to him as father. Now, because of me, you can pray father. No, that's not what's going on. This is stuff that's just there and he's building upon what is there and he's coming to restore Torah and get it back into the perspective that it needs to be. So he keeps going back to stuff and not to show he's getting rid of it, but to say, this is why I'm here because we're going to build upon this and you guys are going to have to have a firm grasp on me slash tor when un, you don't know about it yet but you guys are going to be dispersed and and the thing that's going to keep you solid is a solid basis upon what truth is all right now this is cool um so here take your note so this is by a fellow peter pet i stumbled upon him he's 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 I think still alive. I can't find much information on him. There is an ancient Peter Pet that wrote commentaries a long time ago. So I don't know who this guy is, but by and large, I've enjoyed what he said. This was cool, and I wanted you to have this because I wanted you to follow along. And this is just brand new to me this week, so I haven't fleshed it all out yet, but I'm just saying it sounds good. All right. Never, hallowed be thy name, your name. Never were words less understood than the words, hallowed be your name. Usually people who pray them and who think about them see them as meaning, quote, let people have a high opinion of your name. Let them worship you. Let your name be held in the highest honor, end quote. And that is all good and right. And we should certainly desire it. And we should certainly pray it. And it is certainly included in the prayer. This is true in the present. But, in fact, the words go far beyond that. They are more positive. They are a prayer for God to reveal his special and unique nature by a powerful eschatological and continuing action. His name reveals what he is, and they thus asking him to demonstrate what he is, to demonstrate his name. So those words, hallowed be thy name, it's, 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 we're beseeching him to, to, to demonstrate what he is and to demonstrate his name. Now, this kind of goes with what I'm saying. We have to be grounded in this stuff back in that Old Testament, which we aren't really. So I thought his connection was wonderful here. So. He says, they have in mind the words of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 23. 
quote, and I will hallow my great name, which was profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in the midst of them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I shall be hallowed in you before their eyes, end quote. And how will this happen? Quote, I will take from, uh, sorry, I will take you from among the nations and I will sprinkle cleansed water, he says, parenthesis, water cleansed by sacrifice, on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take out of your flesh the stony heart and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in accordance with my commands and to be careful to walk in my ordinances. End quote. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. That is what we should have in mind when we pray, hallowed be your name. The eschatological work of the Holy Spirit as in the upper room and at Pentecost and beyond. So, when we pray, hallowed be your name, sanctify your name, we are praying, let your purposes be fulfilled that will bring about the hallowing of your name as what you are is revealed to men. Use your people so that great glory might be yours. Let the nations know the greatness of your name and of what you are. Let them know how holy you are and let it come about because of what you do in us, your people." End quote. He says, we are praying that God will so revive us, his people, by his Holy Spirit, that we may have such an impact on the world that all the nations will see it. We are praying that what Jesus came to do will be accomplished through us. We are asking God to change us so much that through us the world will come to know him. Do you really want this to happen? If you do not, do not pray the Lord's Prayer. Isn't that powerful stuff? Now, how can we do that? Father, I need your Holy Spirit to give me the strength to carry out simply hallowed be thy name. That's verse 13 connected back to verse 2. We can't do this stuff in our own strength. We cannot hallow God's name before the nations in our own strength. And how do I know that? Because it's not getting done. Our world is becoming, and it will, less and less holy and more and more sinful. And I'm not convinced we as God's people are becoming more and more like Yeshua. We're becoming, if anything, more and more like potentially the world around us. I've never saw it this way, connecting it back to Ezekiel. Awesome or not, God, do whatever you need to do in me so that I can become a living demonstration of the holiness of you in the midst of this dark world. And, that's, and Yeshua was a living demonstration of that. His whole life was to hallow God's name. And so, if you build on that, when you pray, say, Father, Father. Now, to me, that's a word I stop at because some of you had a good father figure. My dad wasn't a bad man. He was a good man. He was a good provider. But the role of being able to look to somebody as a father figure because of the environment of my family it, and both sets of grandparents, although my, my mom's dad was probably a better example. Father, I, I've struggled with a father relationship since I've been saved with God because I don't really have a basis upon which to build. Then I get into Judy's family who had a good father, a good godly example. Now I have a connection. So when I pray, our father, my dad doesn't come to my mind. If anybody comes to my mind, it's Judy's dad. 
How do I know how to have a relationship with my heavenly father? It's because of my wife and her love for me and, and her father and the love he had for the family and what was instilled. So now when I pray, our father, my father, Abba Father, that's what I picture in my mind. So when you pray, our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, now the rest of it makes sense. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in earth, so in heaven. This, this takes it into a different realm. Now the reality is, folks, it's a day-by-day -day thing. Give us each day our daily bread. And you know what, God, along this journey, while I'm trying to hallow your names, I'm going to get mucked up in sin. I'm going to be dirty. I'm going to sin. In the midst of trying to hallow your name and make you holy before the world, I'm going to become a dirty vessel. So, Father, God, as you're working in my heart, forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. To me, now, this makes a, a more sense. And I read this stuff. And, and this is the kind of prayer life that Yeshua had. When he prayed, he had a father relationship in his humanity with his father. And it's wonderful. All right, so let's leave that. Now, we get into the second half, the demonic side, this, this, the kingdom of Satan struggle. So, verse 14. And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, he casts out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, I love this, but he knowing their thoughts. I find great comfort in that personally for myself. Said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan, there's no question in Yeshua's mind at all, Satan is a real entity, whatever you want to call him, being, he's, a, he's not just some force, he's a real entity. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And I love this, it's just so good. Yeshua knows how to drive home apart, a point. So he said, you're accusing me of doing it this way. What, what, think about this now. Verse 19. And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, then answer this for me. By whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. This is just wonderful. He teaches us how to interact with people in, in which we, we find ourselves confrontational without letting it get ugly. Let's just step back a little bit and see how we can get them to think. So he says, all right, here we, here's the picture. You, you're saying I'm doing it this way. Now I need to get them to think differently. All right, well, by whom are your kids doing this? Uh, now this puts the opposition on sort of the horns of a dilemma. Verse 20, so brings it back. But if I with the finger of God, basically he's claiming deity with this one. I don't have time to get into that, but you need to study this finger of God thing. It goes back to Exodus 8 and other things, but he's claiming deity here. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divided his spoil. So he's basically saying, I'm ripping Satanist shreds here. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Now this is really cool. One of the things that I, I always remember about the Schofield Reference Bible is, is in, at this section it, it titles it The Worthlessness of Self-Reformation. And that helped me to wrap my mind around what's going on here. So Yeshua, by way of illustration, wanting people to think, he says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry 
places, seeking rest. And finding none, he says, ah, I need to get back where I came from. I'm going to return to my house once I came out. And when he come, he finds it swept in garments. The worthlessness of self-reformation. The religious person, the person that tries to find God through his own means, through his religious means. There's a cleaning up period that takes place, but that kind of wears down a little bit. And so now Satan, the, the devil says, hey guys, come on. This, this reminds me of the woman that, that Yeshua cast out the seven demons. She, this is a bad scenario here. He says, hey guys, come on, come on. I don't want to be cast out again. I need some reinforcements. Let's go. Let's conquer this once and for all. So when he comes, he finds a 25 swept in garments. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Dealing with religious lost people is difficult. Because they have spent so much time and effort into their pathway towards God to try to in the right sense, dismantle that is difficult because they've been so invested into this path towards godliness. I would much rather deal with a blatant, plain out and out Satanist. They're almost easier to get to because if you study the life of Yeshua when he walked, and I'm going to get to this, the people in the synagogue don't recognize Yeshua for who he is. Who does? The demonic people. You don't have to cut through that collateral of religion. And, and that's the problem. That's why when, when Yeshua gives the parable of the sowing of the seed, it's difficult to reach people because there's a spiritual battle going on. And, and if the seed gets sown, Satan is, he's hovering, he's looking for that. And, and it takes, and he, he swoops right on that. That's a seed off to the wayside. I can picture my hands far. But some of it takes root and gets vested in the ground and starts to pop up once that starts to happen. And then the next level where they're entwined with all this other stuff to try to rip that out of them is difficult. And so the best thing we can do is realize when we're dealing with religious lost people, it, they're in, so ingrained and the roots are so in this, we need different tactics dealing with them versus dealing with the Satanists. So I don't know where I'm going with all that, but just, just realize, just because somebody walks into our assembly wearing a kippah, prayer shawl, talks about Torah, talks about Yeshua, talks about yod Hey vav Hey, goes to church and has a Bible and says all the right things, you may be dealing with people that have merely reformed and they've never come to Yeshua by faith. We're taken back by that and don't want to hear that because we don't want to go through the hard work of finding out if somebody is genuinely saved or not. And we're dealing with eternity and all this stuff. Am I making any sense? Am I going way off track here? Am I, am I all right? I know I'm, I'm all over the place. All right, so let's continue on. I, I, this is scattering, but anyway. So now, verse 27. It's interesting on the heels of what is just going on. It says, And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee. So Yeshua's validating the fact that life is in the womb. Okay, I don't want us to miss that. That is a life that bear thee. So blessed is a womb that bear thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. Now, the response is from in this one and then in the next section and then in the last section. What I want you to focus on, and maybe this is just me, what kind of response would you give to these people? You know, how does Yeshua respond? And does how you should respond, get a hold of your attention. attention. And are we supposed to learn from this? And I, I can't pablum feed you all of what you're supposed to do with it, but I, I'm trying to get you to enter into where my mindset is. There comes a time where, because of a past history of, of interacting with folks, that you just have to start saying the hard truth lovingly. And this is what 
happens now as we look at Yeshua. So picture this. Now, this woman generally steps up and says, Blessed is the womb that bear thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. Yeah, you know, my mom, she really was a good mom. You know, I owe everything to mom. You're right. Thank you so much for calling attention to what a godly mother that I have. I mean, here I am in the ministry, Yeshua speaking, and I, you know, where would I be without my mother? That would be a good time to say that. Nothing wrong with that. But what does he say? And I think it's because he's getting close to the end, dealing with the same thing over and over and over. There comes a time when you just have to start really speaking the truth in love. And that was the theme of our church in Milford, speaking the truth in love. So he says, but he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Now, how would that, if you're that woman, how would you be feeling right now? I'd want to crawl under the nearest rock. You know, I just said the coolest thing, the best thing I could say, and I really mean it. It's heartfelt. He doesn't even acknowledge it. He basically ignores it and slams the door in my face and says, No! Blessed are those who hear the word of God. Me, I'm right here talking to you. And keep it. That's the important message. It's not being afraid to hurt people's feelings. It's not always just taking everything on face value. It's actually loving somebody enough to start saying the things that maybe some people don't want to hear. Kind of take a break here. So I drive a school bus. I inherit kids from other bus drivers. Routes that have been going for years. Where am I going with this? I'm telling people the hard truth. And the fact that it's a loving thing to do, though they don't think so at the time. So I inherit the mishandling of the bus route, as I say it, see it, along many years, I come along. Now, I, my kids will tell you, I'm not prima proper. I, you know, if there's a way to get around something, I'll scoot it. You know, you know I'm, I'm not the paragon of virtue and everything. But there are certain things when it's like, you know what, there's rules here. We're only supposed to do X, Y, and Z because lives are at stake. So now where I'm dealing with is I've inherited a route where there was this stop, Coy would know, pine and cedar. Well, the bus driver before me and bus drivers before them, because it's getting downtown, these kids want to go up to the library, which is what, another three quarters of a mile? down the street, and then go from there to spread out through the town. Well, bus drivers are doing that. Now, I get to my last stop, and I got a boatload of kids here. I'm supposed to have, I don't know, let's say eight at the last stop, and I got like 16. Where are you people coming from? <laughs> Where do you come from? What are you, do? what are you on my bus for? This is what I said. What are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. In the mic, looking at the thing. Well, this battle has been going on. Well, just take us, you, you can just keep going. You know, just take us up there. It's not that much further, and you, you're going to be heading that way, because I, I kind of, that's how all the buses used to go to get up to Webster. Well, I, I soon learned I'm going to have to now take a right and go down Union, because they're saying, you're going down this way anyway. Why not just drop us off? No! There's rules here. We cannot just drop you off. What if something happens to you? We are obligated to drop you at the stop, and you guys aren't even supposed to be on my bus anyway, many of you, but we cannot go randomly dropping you off because what if something happens and the parent calls and want to know, well, I'll get, Warren, did you have so-and-so? I guess I let him off over there. You know what? Something just bad happened to them. Now we're in big doo-doo here. You know how many times I've explained it to the kids? Every day! I said yesterday, are we going to have to go through this every day? <laughs> but I talked with Coy along the way because this morning we were talking on the phone back and forth in the car. What is happening here? I'm the mean guy. I said, everything I just said to you, 
But you know what? I'm breaking through little by little. Now they'll say when I have new kids getting on, hey, is this the last stop? We want to go out there. The kids are like, this is the last stop. They're informing the others, the new guys. So now I'm getting less and less because they don't want to have to hoof it up there. And this isn't where they're supposed to be getting off anyway because they live somewhere else. Where am I going with all this? It is what Coy was wanting me to see. You have to sometimes be the hard guy to show that you really care and be willing to battle through that like the other bus drivers don't want to, and I don't want to, to start teaching people the truth. Real life, folks, is rules. So Yeshua comes along and says, thank you so much, doesn't say that, no, you need, to, I'm the word right in front of you. Hear what I'm saying. Are we going to have to go through this every day? Is really what he's saying to these people. And it's okay to come to that point because that Yeshua is loving these people like they've never been loved before. So let's go on. All right. And I'm going to elaborate on this. You're going to have to bear with me. So, so here's where I'm entering into this. An incident happens, how would you respond? What do you think Yeshua would do? And what did he do? And what are we to learn from this? So, all right, now. Oh, this is, this is good. So, and when the people were gathered thick together. If, if you look in chapter 12, real quick, verse 1. In the meantime, when they were gathered, verse 1, together in innumerable multitude. That word there, innumerable, is actually the word myriad. You know, thousands. So when it says here, in the meantime, when they were gathered together in a numeral multitude, well, it means that, but it's thousands. All right, so if you put that back in 29, and when the people were gathered thick together, we're never going to have that problem in our congregation. <laughs> It'll never happen. But if you think about thousands now, like some of you have been to concerts, so you don't have chairs anymore, everybody has to stand up, and you're, they're packing you in like sardines. It's that kind of environment. It's just wall-to-wall people. Very uncomfortable. You're jostled and bumped. Somebody stepped on your toe. An elbow just hit you. I mean, this is, this is what's going on. You have thousands of people gathered together. All right, now. Okay, I'm going to give you the first thing he says, and I'm going to tell you what my mind literally did when I was reading this. So, all right. So you have thousands are gathered together. He, begins to say, he, be, he began to say, this is an evil generation. That just, you know, I've read this how many times over 45 years? Just now and as the layers of Yeshua are getting pulled back, at least for me, it's like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. This is what I'm thinking. You know what? We're in church now. Guys, listen, thank you for, so I know you're crowded today. Listen, we understand that and you're uncomfortable. This is what I think we think would be going on. I know, so the pastor's up there. Okay, guys, listen, I'm so sorry. I know week after week after week we've been piling into this. So we're just overflow room. We, we have, I, we have uh, what do you call it? Satellite, you know, and we're, we're, in, we're in different locations in the town. And I understand this is, not conducive to having a, a unified body. So we're, we have plans. We actually, the board, we got together, and I can do this because I can just see this as a pastor. You know, we met and we have this, this two to three million dollar building program already laid out. And, and because we, we've heard everything you say, we, we said, we've asked for your feedback, and the biggest thing we've understood is, this is, you know, how can you expect anybody to show up week after week? This is so uncomfortable. You know, we don't even have a good place to sit down. And so just to let you know some of the plans we have. So we have this, you know, two to three million dollar complex we're getting ready to build. Um, and, and, you know, some of you have mentioned that, you know, we're still sitting on pews. Listen, we're, we're ripping out all the pews. We are going to be putting in theater seats. You, you know, if you've been to them, I just recently, where they're, they're humongous. They're like Cadillac seats. Have you been to any of you been to the theater? I just went to one for the first time in a long time. Where this seat is humongous. It's, it's like, it's like and it reclines. And um, 
So we're, we're going to be, folks, we're going to be getting those. The, the cool thing about these is they will have a place for your coffee. They will vibrate. And I know some of you guys are struggling with your back. You've told us this over and over. And they, they will heat. Now, on one side of the armrest, there's going to be a console where if you forgot to bring your coffee, you can order it. And one of our deacons from our, our, where we have all the uh, uh, refreshments will bring it to you. It'll have to be before the service. And you know what? You can slide your card. Not only can you pay for whatever you want before service, you can pay with your card right there in your seat and give us your offering right there. Because we want to do everything we can to make your experience pleasant. That's what went through my mind, and I'm picturing Scottsdale, you know. I'm not crazy when I say this stuff, because this is where we are, folks. And I'm fed up with it. If you weren't here last week, not this, you need to listen to last week's message. Two weeks ago. I'm getting too old for this. I have to sit down because I start using bad words. I'm getting too old for this. It's been around too long. From my perspective, I'm, I'm just done with this stuff. Petting and pampering and... And Yeshua is too. So how does he handle this? You know, it's, it's like, sorry, honey. Sometimes you and I'll have an argument. And she'll say, why are you getting so No, I'll use the kids. Why are you getting so upset? You know, just calm down. Am I the only one that remembers we've had this conversation 15 times already? I've been nice. I have been calm. I am not calm anymore. We're dealing with this. That's this. <laughs> oh, parent, you understand. Enter in a little bit. How many times you told that kid? Honey, would you please do that? Dear, you need to pick up your room. You know, it'll help mommy out. You know, I have other kids to look over and, you know, spend it on. You know, we're dealing with this. What is this? He's dealing with this. So thousands are sardined together. And instead of welcoming them and doing everything, he's like, this is an evil generation. Come on, you sure you're closing out your ministry? Is that how you want to be remembered? The guy yelling at everybody, calling us names? He's so PC incorrect, it isn't funny. I bet at times he said, shut up. Ooh, I've said that to the kids on the bus. Shut up. Not quite that bad. And they'll, they'll giggle and say, ooh, he said shut up. Because you can't say shut up anymore. You can't. You can't say shut up. You would have thought you just swore the worst swear, which all the kids from elementary through are effing this, effing that, effing this, effing that, effing this, and effing this. Don't you dare say sh shut up. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's an evil generation. They seek a sign. No sign, folks. No sign. Why? You've missed it. That's what he says. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. What's he saying? We're not going over this territory anymore. It goes all the way back to Jonah for crying out loud. And I'm still dealing with this stuff. You want a sign? I've given you signs. Go back to Jonah. Nope. They want something new and fresh. Titillating. For, uh, okay, so uh, verse 31, another one. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Why? For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, how can you guys miss it? A greater than Solomon is standing here right in front of you, if that's the interpretation of this. 32, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. And if you go back to the parallel passage of Matthew 6, there's a third one, a greater than the temple is here. Wow. The time for signs is over, guys. Jonas, Solomon, and now the guy who made the temple standing right here and you, you don't even recognize I'm the architect. We're done. We're done. Luke, am I getting too wound up here? 
34. All right. So, uh, 33. No man, when he lighteth a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. Ah, good, the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. I'm not going to get into that because I know there's different thoughts. But what jumped off at me finally is verse 35. Well, so what's the point of verse 35? Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. Don't be self-deceived. That's what he's saying to them. I'm standing before you folks. You are supposed to be religious people. You're wanting a sign from God. And you're the ones that you're saying you're okay and I'm messed up. Don't deceive yourself. Take heed. Therefore, you self uh, uh, worthlessness of self-reformation. You self-reformed religious person. Take heed that the light which you think is in you isn't really darkness. That's my interpretation. I'm not read anywhere else. That's fresh off the plate this week for me. But I think that's what it's saying. Don't be self-deceived. I'm telling you the truth. You don't need any more truth. This is the truth. It's time for you to grab a hold of it. You're talking like you are religious. What about the light? And ugh, are you self-deceived? If thy whole body therefore be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. Great stuff. Now, all right, second illustration. I'm going to try to wind this up. And as he spake a certain Pharisee. <clears throat> oh, this is so good. I just, oh. So as he spake a certain Pharisee, besought him, said, hey, would you, listen, I'd like to invite you over to my house for dinner. You know, this could be breakfast or midday lunch. It might not be as we think dinner, evening time. But he said, hey, you know, I want, I've been dying to have you over. I, I, there's not been the right opportunity. I'm trying, can you come over, to, you know, um, and eat with me? So, 37, and he went in and sat down to meet. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that Yeshua had not first washed before dinner. I don't want to get into all that. You can do your own study on it. Not my point now. But what is my point? And the Lord said unto him, I, to me, it's like if you've ever seen those old, old cartoons where the lion roars, and all the trees and the leaves just get blown back. That's what I picture here. So, 38. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first watched before dinner. And the Lord said to his gracious host who invited him for a nice dinner, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Whoa, that guy's head spinning. And his head spinning, it's like, wow, where did this come from? Why, why are you saying this? We've been through this before. You just haven't been listening. Now you get it one-on-one. -on -one. Ye fools, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? <laughs> that goes back to verse 17. He knew their thoughts. But rather, 41, give alms of such things as ye have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. That's a whole other thing. I'm not getting into that either. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye tithe, mint, and rue, and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God. <laughs> Can you imagine what I'm saying? What are you telling me? I don't love God, and we're not preaching the love of God? Of course we are. No, you're not. Why? Because you guys have been sugarcoating it all. Ought, uh, these ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Woe unto you, Pharisees, for you love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are as graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. If that was at our house and I did this, my wife would have my head on the block. You don't do this to people, Warren, that you invite over. You don't do this to people that invite you over. When you don't want to shut up, Warren. This is, what, this is what's going on right now. Would you have not loved to bet a spider on the wall? It looks... All right, so anyway. Where am I? Where am I? I don't even know where I am right now. 
What? Where am I? Okay. Where am I? Forty-five. Uh, okay. Uh, am I? Uh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm looking at chapter twelve, forty-five. It's not looking familiar. All right. Then answered one. Of, this is a guy who should have kept his mouth shut. Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, thus saying, thou reproachest us also. You're right, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have lumped you in with the rest. <laughs> Woe unto you also! <laughs> Gosh, this is good! Ye lawyers! <laughs> these are... These are uh, 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 Anyway, you can do your own study who these guys are, but they're the guys that should know better. They, they know the law, the Torah. Woe unto you also, you experts of the Torah, for ye laid men with burdens grievous to be born, and ye yourselves touched not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, for ye build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Truly ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and ye are the ones building their sepulchres and maintaining them. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers! You've taken away the key of knowledge, you've entered not into yourselves, and them that are entering, you hinder. That's the problem. And Yeshua's not putting up with it anymore. Now how do you think he said that? Woe unto you. You know, you guys aren't very nice. That's the problem. See, we, 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 we weren't there. But I'm telling you, we have to somehow inject what we at least, common sense. When, you're when God pronounces woe, that's like dad walking down the hallway and the slippers are scraping against the floor. Hide under the beds. Dad's coming. Right? When, when he gets to the woe stage, the nice talking is over. Yeshua. Why? Eternal lives are at stake. That's why it ends up. You're, not, you're taking away the key of knowledge. You are the guys that are supposed to be unlocking it. And because of how you are, those that are seeking, you're taking that key and locking it because of the good thing you've got going. No. Eternity's at stake. People are going to hell. And he talks about hell. Not under my watch, he says. And as he said these things, 53, unto them the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. <laughs> you know, this is what happens when I talk too much. I get in trouble. They're thinking, if we can get this guy to talk too much, he's going to hang himself. I hang myself all the time. Not going to happen with you. You don't want him to keep going. It's only going to get worse. <laughs> it's only going to get worse. So, there's a battle going on, folks. And we're just playing at it still. I know we're Hebraic, we're Messianic, we're the cream of the crop. No. You know what, this is going to sound bad, you know what we are? We are the flower that the dog just came by and pissed on. My wife's going to kill me. We think we're something more than we really are. Come on, folks, we need to get, strip away everything. We're not God's gift to himself because we're Hebraic. We're not God's gift to the Christian church because we're Hebraic. We're not God's gift to the world because now we're Messianic. We have to realize we're still playing at this. Why? Act soon so that you can reserve your place on our cruise boat for Sukkot.
to whom much is given, much is required. And guys, I'm telling you, we're in big trouble, us. Because we're adhering to the truth now. We're seeking Torah. We're, we're endeavoring to follow after God. We believe, rightfully so, God is in the end time opening up this stuff to our understanding. All right. But do you realize you're no longer in the farm league? You're, you're not the farm team anymore. You've been called up to the majors. You know, I just was watching a soccer game. And one guy got pulled up from another league or something and talking about how he's learning quickly to real, that he has to realize this is at a different level now playing here in the pros. There's a battle going on. There's a war being waged in the heart and lives and minds of each one of us sitting here. And it's worse for us because Satan is really after us now you know the battles and the struggles you're going through and your own families are crying out loud we all would have been better off if we just stayed where we were right go to mcdonald's with everybody else and have that bacon on your bacon and bacon cheese biscuit and nobody will think anything oh how simple life was back then no we're not there anymore, guys. And we're just being attacked from all over. We have to realize, I don't know, can I say it this way? And I'm, I'm, my years here are, so this, this is on you younger guys. But you've been called up for a purpose. To live out, hallowed be thy name, like Peter Pett said. Me too. But you guys, the, the baton is being passed. You know, like a friend of mine used to say, we're the first generation. We're the guys. We're old. We've been at it for a while. We're going to lead the charge. We're going to go with our, bra our, our machetes. We're going to go into the woods and jungles and start clearing a path for you. But you know what? After a while, we're going to be oven and above and oven and above and continue on. There's a lot at stake here. There's a kingdom of Satan and a kingdom of God. And it's that real. And we've been called up to the big leagues. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Not because we're anything great. <laughs> Probably anything but, right? I mean, he calls the maimed, the halt, the lame. <laughs> you know, Paul says, not many rich, it's all the poor schmucks. You know, it's not because there's anything great about us, maybe just because hopefully we're usable, but we've been called upon. And there's a battle. And I'm just wanting to say, folks, the honeymoon is a little bit over, maybe. And some of you realize it. Coming to this Messianic movement, it's like, woo, this is awesome, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. And the kumbaya is gone, right? Well, that's just part of the journey. And sometimes along that journey, as we're progressing to that door back there, Enough is enough, and it's time to call a spade a spade, and we're going to have to start realizing we're going to have to somehow lovingly present the truth powerfully, or those we say we love and are trying to bring the truth of the Torah to are going to be I don't know. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And, um, at least for me anyway. Thank you for just the blessing it was mine to kind of park myself in this chapter for a while and to just kind of stand back a little bit and try to, for myself anyway, see what's really going on and, and how this was handled and what am I supposed to get from this and what's the point? Why just read this stuff? You know, is, are we supposed to be learning? And so for me, it was a kind of going to the woodshed time, still is. God, yeah, I don't know. I think my light is just a flicker still, you know. I ask that you help us realize we're not supposed to put that light under a bushel and, and we are supposed to have salt that actually does something. And, and the problem with that is not everybody's going to like it. They don't want to be blinded by the light and they don't want the antidote poured into the wound of sin. 
And we have to realize it's, it's not always going to be just by telling them Jesus loves them. It's he loves you enough that if you don't wake up, you're going to hell. You don't want a sign? You've had them all before. So, Father, just give us wisdom to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. But also help us realize Yeshua said the children of this world in their own generation are wiser than the children of light. I think we need to put on some gloves, toughen up a little bit, be willing to take some hits to pour out the love of your love upon this world. It cost your son his life to love. It cost the apostles their lives to love. He called us to death. Help us to stop protecting ourselves. But help us to go forth in your spirit. In Yeshua's name, amen. amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah.